Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast, a Christmas-themed podcast in partnership with our wonderful sponsors, Najahi Events. More about them later. On today's show, I have found, I couldn't find Father Christmas. He's busy, okay, of course he's busy. But, okay, I found somebody that knows more about Christmas than anybody else. Jerry Bowler is literally Dr. Christmas. He wrote Santa Claus, a biography. He wrote the Encyclopedia of Christmas. And what this guy doesn't know about Christmas is not worth knowing. You're going to love this one, and it's festive. So put a smile on your face, get a mince pie in your hand, turn it up, listen in, and enjoy. Let's cue the music. Well, Jerry, thank you so, so much for coming to join us on the podcast this afternoon from the other side of the world. It's exciting to have you on the show because although you're not Father Christmas, I think you're known as Mr. Christmas, aren't you? Mr. Christmas, uh, to my more devoted fans, I'm Dr. Christmas, but uh, yeah, that's me. Dr. Christmas. Wow, there's even one of those. So before we get started and talk about all of these things you know, I just want to make sure... um, because of the coronavirus, has Santa Claus been cleared to travel this year? Yes, indeed. Uh, He has miraculous powers, and one of those seems to be an invulnerability to viruses. So there'll be uh, no delay in the swift uh, completion of his appointed rounds. And just for the kids out there that might might get get wind of this, um, obviously there's social distancing involved, and and Santa's going to be coming down the chimney and delivering presents for so many children, the good ones, of course. Um, can, what do the kids have to do? What do they have to make sure that they do so that they don't potentially um, infect or intrude on uh, Santa's job? Uh, Santa's, as I say, pretty impervious to uh, earthly diseases. I would urge kids to uh, leave out a treat for Santa and something for the reindeer as well. I, I know in Canada, it's milk and cookies. Uh, in England, it's very often uh, mince pie. A cold glass of beer in Australia, where uh, he arrives pulled by, uh, not reindeer, but uh, six white boomers. So, uh, yeah, just be kind to Santa and listen to your mum on the approach to Christmas. Excellent stuff. Right. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. So let's go back in time and understand a little bit more about the, the, the history of Christmas. I think we all know the, the marketable side of it and, and what, it, what it's turned into in many respects today. But um, I read something about the, the Romans um, and Christmas time and the Romans and, and Christianity and trying to get the Romans convinced that it was a good idea because they had a period of time at, of the year where they kind of like raped and pillaged and did all their wonderful things. Can you tell us a bit about that, please? Well, that's what used to uh, be the theory about the origins of the December 25th date. Uh, Christians debated for a long time as to whether or not they actually should be celebrating uh, the nativity of Jesus. And, and some thought this was the kind of thing that uh, pagans did. Uh, pagans were in, into the birthday business, particularly for their kings, uh, but it wasn't something that Christians did. Finally, in the 300s, they decided they would celebrate the nativity. And the question is, then what date? Um, there's nothing specific in the Bible about uh, a date, um, but eventually the church in the West, that is to say Rome, Gaul and North Africa decided it was going to be December 25th. And historians for a long time thought that had to do with, as you suggested, the the Roman holiday period. 
in the middle of uh, December, there were all kinds of festivals like Saturnalia and Brumalia, the Feast of the Unconquered Sun, and uh, the New Year's, the Calends of January. Uh, it seems such a reasonable explanation to think that, that Christians picked this in order to co-opt um, the Roman holiday spirit. But uh, the last 20 or 30 years, historians have shifted away from that, and they now think that the December 25th date came out of a bizarre set of calculations that seem very strange to the modern mind. Uh, essentially, it says that famous people, uh, Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, Jesus, lived lives of complete years. So if you were born as I am on December 17th, I'm gonna die on December 17th. So if they could figure out when Jesus died, which is fairly easy uh, because we know that the uh, crucifixion took place at the Passover. So he, he's, he's going to be crucified in, in early spring. Then is that the date for the celebration of the Tivity? And they said, no, it's the date of the um, conception of Jesus uh, when the Virgin Mary is approached by the uh, angel Gabriel. So nine months from March 25th, which was uh, the date assigned to uh, the crucifixion, is December 25th. And it, it took a while to convince um, churches in the East that that was the case, but that's pretty much how we end up with a December 25th date. Now, when you think about the, the history of Christmas and where this journey all started, my question really for you is, where did your journey start with all of this and why? My parents were um, lower middle class, barely making the grade, <laughs> uh, periods of unemployment. And uh, my mother was a, uh, had tuberculosis, so uh, we were scraping to get by. But they always had a wonderful Christmas and they always had a tree and they always had that smell of of pine and, and Japanese mandarin oranges. And uh, they always tried to get me the latest uh, cowboy hat or a six gun set. Um, so I came through it through consumerism, <laughs> through, through the dishonest method of uh, it being a time when I got presents. But uh, as I grew up, I, I kept the tradition of Christmas. I, I loved it. Um, and then quite by accident, I stumbled into Christmas as a scholarly subject. Uh, my PhD was in uh, 16th century political thought, uh, actually the justification of assassination, uh, which was not a terribly cheery subject. <laughs> uh, then I went to a Christmas party in the early nineties and was asked to bring a little non-commercial gift. So I, I just did a little historical quiz about Christmas and it was so fascinating that everybody at the party said, you gotta do a book about it. So I spent about 10 years doing a book about it and it came out with the World Encyclopedia of Christmas. And so for the last 30 years, I've been living Christmas pretty much uh, every day. Around here, it's quite legit to play Christmas carols uh, in the middle of July. No way. And so you, 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 you studied it and when you, when you started to study, did it, did it become, when you go back into its, its real history, w w were there elements that were disappointing for you? Or was it all magical in terms of learning the journey? 
Well, I ended up, my, my third book uh, on Christmas was, was called Christmas in the Crosshairs, which is about the war on Christmas. Um, people say uh, this is just an invention of, of uh, conservatives in, in the United States, but there has been about 2000 years of various wars uh, on Christmas and much of it waged inside Christianity. As I say, there was that debate for years about whether or not to celebrate the nativity and if so, when, and then uh, a long-standing war that's still going on, uh, keeping out uh, unholy influences. Um, you mentioned it, it being set in the Roman holiday period. So the church was interested right away in keeping the celebration of Christmas separate from Roman midwinter festivities, and they never succeeded. And thank goodness they didn't, um, because all kinds of wonderful things come together when you have the sacred aspects mingling with the midwinter festival. And, and that's what makes Christmas such a popular hit in a way that uh, other Christian celebrations like Easter and, and Pentecost uh, have not been. Um, so I, I haven't, wouldn't say that I've been disappointed in anything to do with Christian his, or Christmas history, but I've been awfully fascinated by it. Um, there's a period of time in which it was, Christmas was banned um, it was run out of town in, uh, in Scotland for hundreds of years, parts of the Netherlands, uh, Calvinist countries. The Puritans in England banned it for 15 years. You couldn't uh, put up any greenery. You couldn't make mince pies. And one of the, the reasons that we have, would you like an interesting story about mince pies? This will, this will tell you something interesting. I love mince pies. I love mince pies. <laughs> I do too. It's a great invention. Up until the 1640s, mince pies at Christmas were made in the shape of uh, the crib, the creche. And on top was a little uh, dough effigy of Jesus. So uh, it contained uh, mints, various mince uh, objects, and that was sort of held to represent uh, the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So it, it was a symbolic as well as a delicious item. But when Christmas is banned and you've got Snoopy neighbors trying to rat you out to see if you're celebrating Christmas, housewives then shifted to an ordinary round pie and lost the, the crib shape. But the one remnant of the crib that housewives around the world still use and, and probably don't know about is the lattice crust on it. Um, I don't know if they do that uh, in, in Australia, but in, in Canada, mince pie very often has a, a crust, uh, little strips that go one way and then little strips that go that way. Yeah, and that yeah. is the, the rep, uh, or, or the representation of, of the basis of the crib. Wow. I love that. Well, guys, you've got lots of stories like this. I'm going to try and get some more out of you today. Okay, so it seems to trump any other time of the year. It really does. There's, as you said about other, other holidays, whatever those holidays are, it seems to be one time of the year where everybody just is a little bit kinder to each other. And... You know, my wife is, is Armenian from Uzbekistan. And so, so Christmas for her starts in, you know, New Year's Eve is the celebration. And then a couple of days into the New Year is when they celebrate their Christmas. And, and so that's always a little bit unusual for me because, you know, I'm from, I'm from England. And in England, it's always been whenever it's been, 25th and the lead up the 24th. And, and, and then kind of like 
after Christmas, then things kind of slow down a little bit before we look forward to the New Year celebrations, of which when you've got kids, a lot of the time that's that's getting them to bed early and uh, maybe having a couple of glasses of wine in front of the TV. But for her, it's, you know, it's like it starts, it starts. And I'm like... But yeah, it kind of it can't start then. She's like, well, it does. And I'm like, yeah, but, it, but it can't because it's supposed to be at this time. But but nonetheless, it it seems to be something that none of us ever get tired of. None of us ever get bored of. And I know we get a bit frustrated when our family come over and they drive us mad for the day. Um, but the lead up to it just seems to be. And I, I'm 50 years old, so even for me, it seems to just to be a magical thing. And you know, I know people are putting their trees up even earlier, um, which I find a little bit crazy. You know, sometimes in November they're going up, but it once that once the mince pies, once the the carols start, and and you know the Christmas music goes on the iPod, um, and and the the commercials on the TV start to be kind of like. <laughs> embalmed in holly and Christmas tinsel and cheer. It just seems to make us all just feel a little bit warmer and a bit of cosier. And I think that in the UK where I grew up, because it was winter, it meant, it almost means to me, winter means a period of time of nesting and that kind of like making your home into, into a, a nicer, better, lovelier, warmer place. Would you, would you agree with me? Oh, you, you touch on some very interesting things there. First of all, God bless your wife, the Armenian, because Armenians are the only church that has rejected December 25th. Um, they chose January 6th as the date, not only for the nativity, but also for the epiphany and uh, the baptism of Jesus and the, and the first uh, miracle at the wedding of Cana. So um, very stubborn, um, quite self-contained, uh, Christmas culture. Have you met her? Have you met? Do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I, I do admire the Armenians. I, they were actually the first country to officially go Christian. Um, they, so they have, along with uh, with the Romans and the Ethiopians, this extremely long history of celebrating Christmas. Um, then you talk about the magic. And it's a magic that works not only for those who are Christian, but also for um, the majority of the planet that, that is not. And that's because um, the supernatural leaks in from the original nativity story. This is just an unbelievable story of, of angels and magic dreams and uh, out of town magicians arriving with just astonishing and rather depressing gifts. You know, the gold is nice, uh, the frankincense and the myrrh, isn't that for dead bodies? Well, yeah, <laughs> we've got the massacre of the innocents by, by Herod, we've got more magic dreams and, and the flight to Egypt. And then we've got the whole story of St. Nicholas and the magical midnight Christmas gift bringer that exists um, since the 11th or, or, or 12th centuries. So the, the, the Christian story leaks into the, the secular story, um, particularly through, through Santa Claus. But then we have the point you mentioned about being nicer. We expect to be nicer. And, and when we're not, somebody is sure to say, come on, it's Christmas. You know, just forget it, let that jerk go, you know, let him, anyway. Um, yeah, and, and again, 
um, I, I think it was enormously clever of the church to put Christmas at the darkest time of the year, because it can then symbolize the turning toward the light. Uh, there are three elements of, of every midwinter festival, uh, no matter what, what religion or culture, and that is light and heat, because it's the darkest time of the year, greenery, because it's the bleakest time of the year, and feasting, because it is that time of the year uh, in the pre-industrial world where there is a, a plenitude of food. The harvest is in, the beer's been made, the wine's been made, the baking's been done, the cattle's been slaughtered, the fish pens have been emptied. There's no refrigeration, we gotta eat it now. So you take the wonderful story of the original nativity, this, this wandering family, um, homeless, forced to give birth in an animal shed. Um, we've got angels visiting shepherds. Now, I, I don't know whether your listeners know just how low the repute of shepherds was in the ancient world. They were held to be on about the same level as pimps and convicts with all wow. kinds of unsavory habits that they got up to. Their, their testimony didn't count in court. And yet, these are the people that God chooses to send the angels to the first purpose to people to say, go to Bethlehem and see this baby. Um, the, so the, what we have in Christmas is the world turned upside down. Social inversion. The last shall be first. The first shall be last. And uh, anyway, if, if you were writing fiction, you, you couldn't write a story as good as that. So that you, you take that magic and then you combine it with Midwinter Festival and you have um, what is not only the biggest holiday in the world, it is the biggest thing in the world. There's nothing that approaches it. Um, there, there's no uh, World Cup tournament, no rock band tour, no other holiday, no election, wars, um, often pause for Christmas or, or have to, dictatorships have to take Christmas into account. So yeah, it's, it's awfully important. And to celebrate it as a family uh, is just a, a wonderful thing. And we will survive this, this COVID nonsense. And uh, not that it's nonsense, it's COVID horror. Uh, and uh, Christmas will be more like it was, but it, it still uh, can be precious. I, I just wrote an article on how to have a COVID Christmas. <laughs> And uh, well, let's, let's dig into that because that's that's important right now. So what do we got to do to have a COVID Christmas? What's what's a decent way to do it? Well, the first thing first thing is to stay safe and, and particularly uh, not to infect old people. And uh, as an old guy, I, I appreciate not being coughed on by somebody I, <laughs> I, I might meet. Uh, secondly, we, we've got got to maintain connections somehow. Uh, we, we become t kind of tired of Zoom and, and, and Skype and all kinds of stuff, but all kinds of ways to reach out. Um, and we have to make sure that we do that. We also have to be big on the giving. Uh, charity and Christmas have always gone together uh, since uh, the, the days of the feudal system when it was built into uh, feudal contracts. Now's the time to go out and shovel your neighbor's walk or maybe in Dubai, brush off the sand from your neighbor's walk. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. That's a good one. <laughs> okay. Um, what we're doing, my wife and I, is making up little uh, homemade Christmas treats and uh, dropping them off in, in people's 
mailboxes and ringing the bell and, and waving to them from the sidewalk, standing there in our parkas and, and, and masks. Um, letters, write letters. Nobody writes Christmas card letters anymore. Yeah, yeah. So you know what? That's, that's important to me, you know. I remember having my window sills and my above the fireplace covered in greetings cards, Christmas cards, and, and my mum having to hang a wire across the wall, <coughs> across the ceiling, because we had so many cards and a, and a cardboard tree with cards on them as well. And that was, that, that, I'm so sad that disappeared. I'm so sad that disappeared. Yeah, it hasn't quite disappeared. Um, my generation still does it. And, and we're trying to make a special effort this year to uh, avoid sending... Um, digital messages when we can actually uh, write a personal message. Write a card to somebody. Yeah, and, and just a few meaningful words rather than your standard stuff. It means so much, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, another thing is to keep the celebration. Uh, Winnipeg uh, in Canada, where I'm from, is under an extremely tight lockdown. There will be no family visitations for Christmas. So it is my wife and I. But what we're intending on doing is is to um still have a special meal uh and to dress up for it and to have a little champagne and uh, to make sure that it's not a day like any other um but you i think i think that kind of waking up on christmas day feeling even if there's only a gift not not gifts but a gift a small token the fact that you wake up on Christmas Day and the whole world has woken up on Christmas Day and every, there's wonder around the world from all, you know, from all of the children. But that waking up, even if it's two adults, I think it's really important. You know, in England, it's the, you know, it's the, roast, it's the, it's the turkey and the roast beef and the, and the Yorkshire puddings and that, that kind of three courses of too much food, more than you can eat, the Christmas jumper. As you say, the glass, well, it's Buck's Fizz first thing in the morning and then it's champagne a bit later and then we're on to the wine and everything. Else. And I just, that's, there's something about that that it doesn't matter who you're with. I think you could even do it on your own because it just, it's just, it's in the air, isn't it? It is. Um, and the wonderful thing is it really has nothing to do with uh, the merchant class. I mean, George Bernard Shaw, who was a natural contrarian, um, d said he didn't like Christmas because it was a conspiracy by the merchants. And, and merchants were quick to latch on to Christmas, and no doubt about that. But the whole business of, of Santa Claus, of secret gifts, it, it's a family conspiracy. Uh, f individual families have to buy into it, and each generation has to agree to continue it. There, there's this tremendous act of altruism with parents deflecting gratitude and saying, yep, no, it wasn't us. It was this mysterious guy that lives at the North Pole. And you give kids a, a sense of magic, of um, a different sense of time. The time becomes um, heavier <laughs> as you approach Christmas and uh, you, you teach them um, generosity. I, I, I know there's, there's lots of people who are reluctant to tell their kids um, lies, uh, what Plato would call noble lies. Um, but I'm all in favor of, of letting kids have fantasy. And it's, it's very seldom that a child is actually disappointed to learn um, about Santa Claus. Uh, usually they're, one of two reactions I find, one is they've probably figured it out before they let on. 
Um, they want to see what you think, and they certainly want to keep the presence coming. Um, so they probably know ahead of time. And secondly, they're, they're proud to be led into the family conspiracy, to be treated as, as an adult, and to be told this is something that your little brothers and sisters or cousins can't be told, so you're, you're one of us now. And uh, I, I think uh, Santa Claus is uh, a wonderful gift to society. I agree. Tell me, tell me how Lapland became part of the process. <laughs> uh, now, I, I don't know very many Finns. I love Finnish movies. I love Finnish television. But when it comes to Christmas, I've got a grudge against the Finns. Here's, here's, here's what happened. Um, a lot of uh, Northern European countries had Christmas gift bringers that were not very nice. They were a little scary. And one of those was a figure in Finland called Yulapuki, which means Christmas goat, Yule male, Yule buck, Yule male goat, who uh, was personified by a guy dressed up with a, a, a goat skull, um, shaggy furs, and would come in and be rather rough and, and throw the, the present uh, at you. Um, and, and kids were scared of him. Now, when Santa Claus emerges out of the United States in the 19th century, parents say, this is a much better idea than these scary Yule goats or, or the German figure of Perkta the disemboweler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what we need is a grandfatherly figure, a, a kindly uh, figure. So Santa Claus is adopted by Europe, but under local names. So uh, England, which had not had a Christmas gift bringer since the 1550s. Um, Father Christmas was not a, a figure, it was just the personification of Christmas. So Father Christmas is, is the English Santa Claus. Père Noël is the French Santa Claus. Der Weihnachtsmann, the German Santa Claus. But sometimes, um, as in the case of Finland, they will keep the original name. So Santa Claus is, is still called Yule Goat, Yule Buck. <laughs> now, in the 1920s, a, uh, 20s and 30s, a radio, children's radio program uh, taught that um, Yulapuki lived on Mount Ear, um, uh, territory on the, uh, the Finnish-Russian border, and that he was the real, the one and only genuine Santa Claus. And somehow, because uh, Lapland was so suited to the Santa Claus myth that has reindeers and reindeer-powered sleighs, Finland managed to convince much of Europe and most importantly, all of China that Finland is the original home of Christmas. And, and they, they have this tremendous tourist trade. They have uh, Rovaniemi, the, the Christmas town above the Arctic Circle. The Chinese have bought into it. They're, they're flooding um, Finland with tourists. They've built uh, sort of Christmas Disneylands uh, throughout China based on the Finnish model. But they're interlopers. They are Johnny's come lately to the, to the Christmas story. And what really ticks me off is that um, Yulipuki um, considers himself above other Santa Clauses. 
Every July, there is a World Santa Claus Congress held in Copenhagen. And the Santas from around the world come, uh, but not Yonapuki because those are just imitations. He's the real thing. Now he'll travel around and make peace pacts with other Santas. He, he went to Russia and made a deal with uh, Dead Moroz or Grandfather Frost, the Russian uh, Santa Claus. But this, this is cultural appropriation of the worst sort. And everybody knows that Santa Claus lives at the North Pole. Canada claims the North Pole. Canada has given Santa his own postal code, H-O-H-O-H-O. -O -O. So I don't wanna hear any of this Finnish Yulipuki nonsense. <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So if he doesn't come from Lapland, he comes from the North Pole, um, did the Canadians go and visit somewhere Alas, no. Canadians uh, are very polite and rather unentrepreneurial. We're not like Americans um, who, who seize every opportunity. Um, we kind of like, you know, may, yeah. Anyway, no, we don't. Um, so I, I've been trying to get people to make Winnipeg the, the Christmas capital of Canada and perhaps the world. I've been trying to get politicians interested in it. We've got the snow. There was a reindeer ranch outside of town. We've got every conceivable ethnic group here. Wonderful ways of celebrating Christmas. And we've got Ukrainians, God bless them, in their, their massive numbers here. Uh, and, and Orthodox who have a later Christmas because they use a different calendar. So we, anyway, uh, all to naught. <laughs> they have not seized it. <laughs> Um, so we haven't uh, taken advantage of it the way other countries have tried. Greenland so, tried in the 1990s and, and failed. Greenland's owned by Denmark, though, isn't it? Yes. Um, they, uh, Denmark used to own uh, Iceland and, and Greenland. They gave up on Iceland. So when you, you've obviously got your beef with the goat in Finland. Tell me, are, are, there, are there other countries... Uh, historically that you have some beef with as well around their their assault on your Christmas heritage? Actually not. I, I love the variety. Um, there are wonderful Christmas foods around the world. Um, I, I do a Christmas quiz quite frequently. And uh, here's a question for you. What country plays hockey after church on Christmas Day? You mean grass hockey or ice hockey? I'm not telling. Which country plays hockey after church? Well, Holland? Ethiopia. No way. Ethiopia plays field hockey um, because the, uh, the um, I guess call them sticks, um, they have to wave in the air and they resemble shepherd's crooks. So it's, it's tradition. In fact, the name for, for field hockey and Christmas are the same in Ethiopia. So you can't, can't complain about that. Um, Christmas is just so diverse. I mean, I've spent 30 years at it and I've barely scratched the surface. I learned something new every day. Talk to me about um, culinary choices around the time of Christmas. 
there's there's got to be some some unusual and weird and wonderful different things that people do. Obviously, we we'll park the standard turkey conversation. What have you learnt yourself about different countries of the what, the kind of foods that they eat around Christmas? Well, uh, Australians have uh, shrimp on the barbie. It's it's midsummer down there, so they're not. Well, they tried for a long time to stay indoors and wear woolen clothing and have roast beef. But that, that was no fun. So let's go to the beach. Um, the French have a custom called the 12 desserts, which you just have to love. Um, there's uh, wonderful food that um, even Canadians don't, uh, you know, Canada's a continent wide. So Christmas food in one part of the country might be totally strange in others. Um, in the far Eastern provinces, what we call the Maritimes, the provinces on the Atlantic coast, um, they have a lot of fish dishes that we don't have. Um, they have wonderful hard candies called chicken bones. Um, uh, whereas we're, most of Canada has, has, gone, has gone Turkey. Um, England had uh, a long tradition of uh, goose, yes. uh, even though Turkey, uh, turkeys had been in England since the 1500s. And one of the great sights that you would have seen in December um, are uh, turkey and goose caravans from uh, the countryside into the city uh, where, where the, the animals would, would walk dozens and dozens of miles. So you, you had to put little shoes on them. Uh, you, you, run them you run them through tar first, get their feet sticky, then you run them through gravel. And so you, you get a little artificial foot. And uh, anyway, uh, in, in Central America, there, there's all kinds of variations on um, tamales, which is uh, a rice dish with various stuffings uh, wrapped inside uh, leaves. And, and steamed. Um, in Norway, they love lutefisk, which is fish soaked in lye and is so foul that non-Norwegians can't eat it. There, there's a, a wonderful recipe uh, that talks about uh, getting a, a sheet of plywood, um, making the lutefisk, putting the lutefisk on the wood, baking it at 350 degrees for four hours, taking it out, throwing the fish away and eating the plywood as a more palatable uh, option. In Iceland, um, just before Christmas, they have uh, a skate, uh, the fish yeah. uh, dish, a, a hash, which is rather unappetizing. And they like it because it reminds them that Iceland was once one of the poorest countries in the world. And this is what Christmas used to be like really interesting really interesting okay um so we've got the different names okay and i'm now i've learned so much about the fins in fact i don't like the fins anymore damn the fins and so i'm on the same page as you now so sorry to my finnish friends <laughs> um let, let's talk about um religions around that time because there are as, as we spoke earlier about armenia and celebrating at different times is the vast majority celebrating christmas on the 25th and a very small minority celebrating on other dates or is it is it a bigger number than we think um aside from the armenians everybody celebrates it on december 25th 
according to their calendar. So there are calendars um, that are different than the Gregorian calendar that will make, for example, the Ethiopian church uh, and the Orthodox church will celebrate Christmas in January, but it will still be December 25th on their calendar. Okay. And, but, ev- but everyone else is around that time. Now, some people have, they, they give gifts at the beginning of December and some people give gifts on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the beginning of December is, is uh, December 5th. Uh, that is the Eve of St. Nicholas. And for um, hundreds and hundreds of years, St. Nicholas was the magical Christmas gift bringer. He was the first to bring gifts to children. Uh, gift, giving, gift giving had been part of Christmas for a long time, but kids weren't in on it. It was really to grease the social wheel, to give to your superior and, and so on. Um, but starting in the Middle Ages, St. Nicholas brings gifts on the eve of his feast day. So his feast day is December 6th. He will come on December 5th and drop in presents in your little shoe. It's only when St. Nicholas is uh, driven out of Protestant countries uh, in the 16th century with the Protestant Reformation that people are looking around for other gift bringers. They, they want the tradition to continue, but who, oh, who uh, will it be? Well, <clears throat> an obvious choice is the baby Jesus, the Christ child. Um, uh, he has a couple drawbacks. Um, he's, he's not scary. And the original St. Nicholas was, was scary or had a scary helper to terrorize kids into good behavior. Um, and the other thing was he couldn't carry the bag. Um, so he had to be given an assistant of his own. But if you're going to have the baby Jesus instead of St. Nicholas, you're going to move Christmas gift bringing to Christmas Eve. Now, adults um, in Europe uh, for hundreds of years um, tended to give gifts at New Year's because that was the tradition. It's only, and, and the French are still bigger on uh, New Year's Eve gift bringing than uh, December 25th, particularly for adults. Um, it's only with the massive, the global popularity of Santa Claus that the focus is now overwhelmingly on December 24th, 25th. Do you mind if I... Go for it, get stuck in. <laughs> okay, now, a last question I've got for you that I want, I want you to be honest, because I... I kind of think when I, I watch movies or I look at books and images and whatnot, there are, there's maybe different times that it would have been nice to be to celebrate Christmas. And if you could get in a time machine and you could go to any time to celebrate Christmas yourself and experience Christmas yourself, what generation, what decade, what uh, century would you choose? That's a good question. The, the, the traditional image that we get on so many Christmas cards and movies is the Victorian Christmas. Yes. Um, the Dickensian Christmas. Um, I, I would still choose the present day, um, a non COVID year, mind you. Um, communication is so much easier. Um, 
it's uh, it, you know it, it's possible for one thing that we do uh, when when the kids uh, were little. I have three daughters. Before we opened the presents, we'd have breakfast together, and we would read uh, each read a verse of the Christmas story in in Matthew or Luke. Well, now we can do it uh, on Skype. I, I have a daughter. Uh, in Toronto, one in uh, Iowa, one in North Carolina, and, and we can do that. You have to remember before the invention of railroads there, in England uh, or anywhere, there was no winter travel. When people were gone, they were gone. You know, 10 or 12 miles was too much to expect people to come back. Um, I, you know, I would like the, uh, the roaring fire, uh, the, the coach uh, arriving with, with Christmas visitors and geese dangling uh, from the side of the coach and the like. But then if you had to go to the bathroom, there's no indoor plumbing. No, this is, this is the golden age of plumbing and, and artificial light. And I'm, I'm so grateful for it. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick the 21st century. <laughs> Although no, one thing I would, maybe I would go back to the 1950s because then Christmas trees smelled. I don't know what it is, whether it's advancing age, but Christmas trees nowadays don't have that smell that used to fill the house. Um, so that maybe that was the one thing I'd, I'd change. I love that smell. I love that smell. And I loved my mum getting frustrated with the vacuum cleaner as the needles came off. Oh, all the needles, yeah. <laughs> now, did your mum observe Stir Up Sunday? St what do you mean by Stir Up Sunday? Stir Up Sunday is the last Sunday before Advent. So it's usually the last Sunday in November. And um, the church reading for the time is uh, Stir Up, O Lord, Thy People. And it's a time when um, the Christmas pudding was made and everybody in the family had to take turns making a stir and uh, making a wish. We did that as kids. I know exactly what you mean. Because we, we used to have to put a penny in the pudding. And so, and whoever whoever got the the penny in their in the pudding in their in their piece of the cake, they were the people that um that, that had good luck, okay? Because you got you got the coin. Christmas pudding that's like an acquired taste. It's a little bit like Marmite, you know. Some people can't stand Christmas pudding. I think it's like the very best thing that you could possibly eat on the planet. And and I don't want to share a whole Christmas pudding with anyone. It's just that's fabulous. That stuff. Yeah. Wonderful. Jerry, it's been fabulous talking to you. Just could you give us for all of the, the children here in this part of the world and for anybody in the UK that might be listening to this podcast, if you could just give the kids a Christmas message. Kids, Christmas is the nicest time of the year. It is a time when people show love to each other, partly by giving things, but partly by acting nicer, by having special foods, by contacting people that they wouldn't ordinarily uh, be in touch with during the course of the year. Just be grateful. Just say at the end of the day, as you're just about to be tucked into bed on Christmas night, thanks, Mom and Dad. It's, it's been a slice. Oh, that's awesome. Jerry Bowler, thank you so much for coming Dr. Christmas on the Spencer Lodge podcast. You can't beat that. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. Well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Dr. Christmas, Jerry Bowler, that guy knows everything that there is to know about Christmas. And if you didn't learn some good things about Christmas and what it means to people and what it should mean to all of us, then maybe 
just maybe you're missing out. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi events and Najahi tribe. Now, Najahi sounds like an unusual word, and it is, but it's Arabic for my success. And Najahi have brought some of the world leading public speakers, motivational speakers, inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years, and Abu Dhabi, mind you. And Najahi brought, I don't know, people like Tony Robbins, ever heard of him? Okay, Nick Vujicic, no arms, no legs, no worries, Lisa Nichols, Prince EA, Jay Shetty, uh, Alicia Keys, and people like this. And they bring them in and they run events. And from those events, we go and we learn from these incredible people. On top of that, they launched the Najahi tribe recently, where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers that literally you can join, become a member of, take advantage of a training from all of these different people, like real experts in their field. I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, <laughs> hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoyed these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I events.com. I know I couldn't get Santa Claus himself, but I got as good as I could. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast and you're listening to it on iTunes, then please give me a five-star rating. If not, and it's on, on SoundCloud or Spotify or another podcast app, please leave me some comments. It would be so appreciated. More people get to see and hear this podcast when you do that. So please, please, please do that. I'm wishing you all a very Merry Christmas.